0: Alright, hello friends. Uh, My name is Jeremiah Smith. I'm the pastor of University Baptist Church, and this is a little different than maybe what you're used to finding on our website with the sermon recordings. Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties this past Sunday and weren't able to capture the audio. And so, I'm going to do a short, quick, um, just brief overview of some of the high points of what we discussed in our new series on identity. And so, hopefully you've got a few minutes just to to listen through this and, and not miss out too much on what was said uh, even though we weren't able to capture the whole sermon. Uh, obviously, as I said, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we started a new series on identity that's really designed to help us walk through again the different convictions and different beliefs that we have uh, that really shape who we are. and And the hope through the course of this series is for us to revisit some of those convictions that obviously foster and create an identity for us as a church, um, but to do so through a more personal and individual focus, to where we can look at, what does it mean for our own lives to be gospel-centered what does it mean for our own lives to be biblically guided and so last week was a little bit of an introduction to the whole concept of identity and had a chance to really talk through how when we look at jesus's call in our life he he kind of gives us the parameters he gives us a framework that that we are called to follow him we're called to be uh, his disciples who then are given a task to make disciples and, and that's a huge part of our. Prayer in the heartbeat of our church uh, is to, to pursue that. And so now as we continue through this series, we're going to look at some of these specific convictions that we do feel like shape our church, but, but hopefully help us as individuals pursue the framework that Christ sets out for us. And so to, today, or I guess this week, our focus was on what does it mean to have a life that is centered on the gospel, uh, to have a gospel-centered life, to make it the, really the essence and the heartbeat of everything that we do and so that's really what i'm just going to briefly cover i've got my outline notes in front of me so i can just hit the high points for you Uh, we we started by again just looking at matthew's gospel we're going to be focusing in on the sermon on the mount and just talked again that the way that matthew writes this gospel is really effective it's really important just some of the unique literary techniques that he uses his structure that kind of alternates between narrative and discourse allows us to see that this Sermon on the Mount is the first major discourse in this gospel, which kind of heightens its importance and significance in Matthew's mind. Uh, we, we talk about how Matthew is a, has a tremendous amount of emphasis on utilizing the Old Testament to, to capture and speak to his audience. Uh, he has more direct quotations from the Old Testament than any other gospel writer, more than double than any other gospel writer, really kind of emphasizing that Jesus is coming to fulfill Israel's story. And, and he's mindful of the Judaic audience and, and what they would have seen and what they would have already have known and is using different things throughout his gospel to accentuate how Jesus steps into that overall story. And then obviously we also see just an emphasis on the kingdom. Uh, while, while there's a, a broad uh, approach to Matthew's gospel, if we were to highlight one particular theme for the course of this series that he obviously utilizes, it's, it's the understanding that Jesus is coming to proclaim the kingdom of god right that jesus says the kingdom of god is here and and that's an invitation for us to better understand god's rule and reign in our life and and what it is that he wants for us and how we participate in that kingdom and so with that as context when we get to the sermon on the mount several other things that we see in the structure of matthew is we we looked at how matthew 4:23 really kind of serves as a summary statement for us to understand what it is we're about to read. Uh, it talks about how Jesus is going throughout Galilee and he's he's teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom or, or the gospel of the kingdom and then healing every sickness and disease. And it's, it's fascinating that if you were to take your Bible and just flip over to chapter 9, verse 35, you would see almost an exact same statement, which is a way for us to see that this is one section uh, chapters 5 through 9 are to be read as an understanding of of Matthew saying, here's how Jesus taught, here's what he preached, here's how he proclaimed the kingdom, and here are all the healings that he did. It, it's a way for us to see all of that unfold. And so um, chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, obviously really speak to the teachings and the proclamation of Christ. And so when we begin to dig into the Sermon on the Mount and we look at those two chapters, what we talked about on Sunday was, Perhaps the best way to begin to understand how to approach the Sermon on the Mount is to see Jesus' conclusion himself. How does he end this teaching? How does he end this message? Because obviously that's his his point of emphasis. This is, this is where he begins to communicate to his audience. This is what I want you to do with everything you've just heard. And that's where you find the parable of the wise and the foolish builders. And it's it's a well-known parable. It's, it's one that helps us see that um, really what a response to Jesus' teachings needs to be. And, and kind of a paraphrase of that parable would be that he says, if you listen to these words of mine and put them into practice, you're like a wise builder who, who builds their house on a foundation. If you don't listen to these words or you don't put them into practice, you're like one who builds a house on, on sand, and in both those scenarios, Jesus talks about a storm coming, the rain's pouring, the streams rising. And for those who build their house on the rock, the house withstands the storm. And those who build their house on the sand, it, it crashes to the ground. And so a summary for us to look at that conclusion is to say, all right, Jesus wants us to center our lives on his teaching. right? He, he wants us to, to listen to these words and put them into practice. And so that's a really significant takeaway for us is is Jesus is saying that this is how you find a foundation to carry you through life. And obviously that's something that we want to really work towards. And so part of the question was, well, what does it mean to listen to his word? And and we started to kind of anticipate some of these future convictions we're going to discuss through the course of the series. You know, we, we listen to his words by being guided by the scriptures, being biblically guided by uh, having a life that is focused and driven by prayer and fasting. Um, those are the next few things we're going to discuss in the course of the series. How do you put them into practice? Well, you, you focus on discipleship. You worship him. You, you foster a loving family and a loving community. You give of your, your time, your talents, your energy. The, these are other things we're going to talk through the course of the series. But, but ultimately, none of those things become possible if we don't first see the value of the gospel itself. And so after kind of looking at the end of chapter seven, we recognized that this is something we really wanted to take into practice. And, and that's kind of a question that all of us need to wrestle with is, how are you building your life? Kind of the fundamental question for Sunday was, can you truly say your life is gospel centered? Um, is everything you do built upon uh, the story of Jesus and the kingdom that he has invited us to participate in? Or, or is it something we do on the side? Is, is there... Other things that we've built our life upon? Have we built our life upon comfort? Have we built it upon our own image, our own understanding? We want to have a certain status, a certain lifestyle, and and that's the foundation we're building. And if that is the case, then the scriptures are clear. We're not going to be able to withstand the storms and the trials that life are going to bring, that life is going to bring. And so it's an important question for us to wrestle with. And so with that being said, we, we then looked at Matthew 5 and just the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And this introduction really just gives us the setting. It, it's, a, it's a fascinating just two short verses that tells us that Jesus went up on the mountainside and there he began to teach them. Uh, his disciples came to him and, and began to listen. And, and the things that we began to discuss with just the setting was that Matthew uses his first two verses to introduce the Sermon on the Mount to first and foremost create a distinction between the crowds and the disciples. Uh, we see that crowds are those, or the common folks that are familiar, they're there, they're listening, but they're on the sideline, right? They're watching a great show. Um, there's a huge difference throughout the course of Matthew's gospel between the crowds and the disciples. The disciples see Jesus as Lord. And as we talked about last week in the introduction of this series, a disciple is one who is willing to, to immediately respond to the invitation that Christ extends to them to the point that they're even willing to abandon their current reality, whether that's their job, whether that's their possessions, or even their family, and fully commit to this invitation to participate in the kingdom and then be equipped to to bring others into the kingdom as well, uh, ultimately to be a disciple who makes disciples. And so we see that distinction between crowds and disciples in this opening Mm -hmm statement. And then we see this tremendous emphasis on teaching. Uh, they came to him and he began to teach. So we explored for a while what, what do we imagine when we hear this idea of teaching? You know, what, what picture comes in your mind when you start thinking about what it means to teach? Obviously, I told a great funny story. Everybody laughed and it was awesome. But you missed that part. So that's just another reason why we got to get our technical stuff together. But I won't spare, I'll spare you the story today. Um, But the idea of teaching from a biblical concept is that it's more than just a classroom setting, right? In our context, we picture the teacher in front of a classroom imparting information that then you have to retain and eventually you'll be tested on. And if you do well on the test, then that means you understand the information. And while that's an accurate picture of teaching, I would say it's insufficient to the biblical concept that we have here. That the true definition of this word is that it's the, the... The highest possible development of the pupil, of the student, is the goal of the teaching. And so it's not just about imparting information, it's about developing someone. And and you do that by demonstrating and modeling and then asking them to participate with you. And so what we need to see and part of what motivates us to center our life on the gospel is that only the teachings of Jesus Will develop our lives to the potential that they were created to have. We can we can follow so many different philosophies, so many different ideas, so many different concepts or tasks, and nothing will develop us and fulfill us like the way that that Christ can and His teachings and His call and His value in our life. And so we need to to see the importance that they carry and and see that that's going to be what helps us experience not just Hope for for eternity, not just the hope for for heaven, but to to know that it's only when we center our lives on this gospel that we begin to experience life abundantly, and so that's that's why it's important. That's that's why it's something that we really want to to pursue and see the value in is to make sure that we we can experience that life and understand that when Jesus teaches us, um, and we we truly view him like the disciples do. We see his words as authoritative, we see him as Lord. That develops our life beyond anything else that this world could ever offer. And so we talked a lot about the importance of teaching and, and really kind of went into that in greater detail. Um, after discussing the, the concept of teaching, we kind of encountered a question. Um, you know, despite Matthew, you, know, highlighting the difference between crowds and disciples and the importance of teaching, the question remains, especially for the audience of the day, well, that's great, but why would I listen to Jesus? Uh, why, why is his teaching more important than another? In fact, we borrowed from a verse in the Gospel of John, I think it's 928, if I'm not mistaken, um, where there's this exchange between the teachers of the law and somebody that's experienced a healing from Jesus, and they say, yeah, you, you follow him, but w- we follow Moses. We're disciples of Moses because we know God has spoken to Moses. We don't even know where this guy's from. And it's a great verse that kind of gives us an insight to some of the mentality that Matthew likely encountered with his audience as well, which was, okay, why, why do I need to listen to Jesus? Especially when I know Moses is really the one that's given us an understanding of God's rule and reign in our life. And so with that challenge kind of being present in this, this initial writing of this text, um, part of what Matthew's trying to accomplish is to create the significance and the authority that Jesus brings with his teaching. And amazingly, he does that in, in some really remarkable ways in just those first two verses. Uh, he, he does so by referencing the fact that Jesus goes up on the mountainside, um, which may not seem too significant initially, but as you read through the course of Matthew's gospel, you see that it is a literary device that highlights significance and importance. Very significant things happen on the mountainside in the course of Matthew's Gospel. The Sermon on the Mount, the Transfiguration, the Crucifixion, the Great Commission. Those moments are moments of God revealing Jesus' glory and his distinct place in God's plan of redemption. And so that, that is one way for Matthew to say, hey, pay attention, this is a significant moment. Another thing that's that's very subtle but important is that Jesus sits when he begins to teach. Um, again, that's different than what we're used to. We, we picture teachers standing um, to present a certain level of authority, but in, in antiquity and in, and in these times, uh, that was not the case. You, you would see kings and queens sit on their throne bef- before their subjects. You would see judges sit when a, exacting a judgment on something. You would see even rabbis during Jesus' time sit when they would teach. Sitting was a posture of authority and significance. And so when Jesus goes up on a mountainside and sits, this is Matthew saying that this guy is coming with authority and he's coming with importance. But what really is significant about it, and this is how we concluded the discussion, was that what Matthew has done in these two verses is painted a picture for us that it reminds us of the image of Moses. Right? That that when God restores and redeems his people out of Egypt, Moses goes up on the mountain, goes, ascends the mountain on Mount Sinai and then receives teachings, rules, regulations of, of how God's rule and reign needs to be experienced in the life of his people. So Moses comes back down. He says, here, here are these things that you need to follow, which is ultimately what Jesus is about to do in the Sermon on the Mount. And so in the same way, Jesus goes up on the mountain, comes back with a teaching on this is, this is a picture of what God's rule and reign looks like in the kingdom. And so it's this incredible parallel that Matthew is using to show us not that Jesus is replacing Moses, but that he's greater than Moses. That he's even fulfilling what Moses and the Law and the Prophets had pointed to from the very beginning. And and so that is where we begin to see this amazing picture of the story that Jesus is completing, the story of Israel's history. And, and that was kind of the, the word of passion there at the end of the message was if we're really going to be centered on this gospel, we have to understand that following Jesus is more than just creating a life that's based on morality. It's more than just what we base our behavior upon. It's more than just a code of ethics. It's understanding that there is this story that has been revealed since the beginning of creation. It, it is the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the story where God extends a covenant to bless all peoples. It is the story of Moses, the story of the Passover, the story of the Red Sea, and an opportunity for us to see that that God is a God of rescue, that he will reign forever. It's the story of David. It's the story where we see a promise that there will be one in David's line who's going to sit on his throne and establish his kingdom, of which there will be no end. It's the story and hope of the Messiah. It's the story and hope of a Christ. And, and what Matthew has said is this is the story of all those things coming into fulfillment through Jesus. It's the story that God's kingdom is here. And, and it's only when we grasp the significance and the weight of that story that you and I are able to truly begin to say, this is what I want to build my life upon. And so any other effort to just work towards morality, to work towards behavior, or just to be a good Christian person, it it misses the significance of what a gospel-centered life really looks like. And that's what allows us to come and say, yes, I want to yearn for your teachings. I want you to shape my convictions. I want you to shape my beliefs because I see this is the story upon which everything exists. And so that was really what we really focused on um, this past week. And, and the final invitation was kind of something that you see towards the end of chapter 7 when, when Jesus is finished with his teaching. It says that the crowds that were there, they were amazed at his teaching. And, and that's my prayer for, for each of us, not just this week, but as we move throughout this series and, and really through the course of our lives, that we would never stop being amazed at this Jesus. Uh, that we would see His marvelous, His wonderful work and and let it be the very thing that we center our entire lives upon. So that's a summary of the message. Uh, Don't tell anybody about this. The fact that I could do a sermon that quickly uh, because that will change people's expectations on Sunday morning. I still like to take more time than this. But hopefully uh, these few minutes give you enough of a highlight of, of what we talked about and helps you kind of be able to track with us through the course of this series. Um, So we're looking forward to seeing you all again on Sunday as we continue and begin looking at what does it mean for my life to be biblically guided and continuing to look at the Sermon on the Mount. So praying for you all. Hope you have a great week and we'll see you on Sunday.